Welcome to Motherhood Redefined, a podcast to empower the modern mother. I'm Maria Bonobri, and first and foremost, I'm a mother passionate about changing the landscape of motherhood. I'm also an intuitive empowerment life coach, a conscious birth coach, and the creator and founder of Calm Mother, the ultimate wellness service for mothers and mothers-to-be. I created this podcast to reconnect women to the truth of their feminine power and there is no more powerful a time in a woman's life than when she gives birth and makes the rite of passage towards motherhood. In each episode we'll be opening up honest and inspiring conversations about conception, birth and motherhood with experts and thought leaders in the field as well as with mothers who have a story to tell. Join us on this wonderful journey to redefine motherhood. It is impossible to take care of another creature 24-7 without addressing your own human needs because your body and mind and spirit will simply break down if you stop caring for yourself. And yes, your child has 24-7 demands, but it can't be you 24-7. You are a mother and you are also a human being and you just don't have the option to stop tending to your own basic needs. This episode of the Motherhood Redefined podcast is sponsored by Empower the Mother, an online course to allow you to fully step into your power as a woman and a mother. Times need to change. There's no more room for women and mothers to feel less than, to feel not good enough and to feel unsupported. When we become mothers, we become the fierce protectors and nurturers of the future. It's time that we understood and we were able to step into our greatness. Empower the Mother can help you do that. For more information and the ability to sign up for an early bird discount, head to calmmother.com slash empowerthemother. Hello and welcome back to the Motherhood Redefined podcast. Thank you so much for being here and joining me. It's been so amazing, actually. I wanted to thank you all, everybody that's left a review, everybody that sent me a DM or an email, just expressing their thoughts about the the podcast. It's been an overwhelmingly positive response and I'm really touched by it. So I just wanted to say thank you, thank you very, very much. The first episode with Kimberly Ann Johnson, the author of The Fourth Trimester, has gone down a treat, a storm, some might say. It's a really powerful conversation and it seems to have really touched people. So if you haven't heard that yet, I'd, I'd go and have a listen to that too. It's it's really wonderful. But this week, I am speaking with Dr. Alexandra Sachs. She's a reproductive psychiatrist and she's also the co-author of a book that's coming out at the end of April here in the UK called What No One Tells You. And it's a book all about all the things that people don't talk about when it comes to motherhood. Now, I, for one, really wish that that book had, was out when I had my child. It's something that everybody needs. And so I'm really, really excited about that coming out and being able to read that and learning some home truths. Alexandra Sachs and I, we talk about matrescence mainly. And if you recognise her name, it may be because of the TED Talk that she did a while back on matrescence. Now matrescence is a term that she's brought back to the forefront. It was a term that was created in the 70s to describe the period of time and the transition that a woman goes through when she becomes a mother. And it's much like adolescence in that it describes 
your hormones going haywire, your emotions going up and down, your physical body changing, your mental mind rewiring and also losing an identity and trying to find a new identity. And just having that word now in our vocabulary is completely game-changing. It gives us permission, not that we needed it, may I say, but it does give us permission to be able to go, right, let's just take a look at what is going on now when a woman becomes a mother. Let's allow her the space to breathe. Let's allow her the chance to ask for help. Let's allow her the ability to kind of regroup and find herself and empower herself in this new role. Just having this word, I think, is going to completely change the way society looks at motherhood. And it's a really exciting prospect. So Alexandra and I talk about that. We talk about matrescence and how different it is to postnatal depression, how we're able to prepare for our matrescence. We also touch upon breastfeeding trauma, mother self-care and also being a good enough mother. We touch upon so many amazing topics. It's once again a really powerful um, and, and captivating conversation and I'm really happy that you're here to listen to it. If you do enjoy the episode, please, please, please rate, review and subscribe in the iTunes app. The more that that's done, then the higher up the iTunes um list it goes and the more people see it and the more people that see it and hear it then the more likely we are to have some change in society and that's the whole purpose of this and also the more people that need it will get it so um yes please do rate review and subscribe so anyway here it is my conversation with dr alexandra Sachs. enjoy dr alexandra Sachs. it's so wonderful to have you on the motherhood redefined podcast how are you I'm well, I'm well. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm, I'm really excited to be included in this conversation. Oh, I'm just loving having you. I think um, you've been brought up so many times with my clients and workshops that I do with mothers. People come up to me at the end and they say, have you seen this TED talk? Have you heard of um, Alexandra Sachs? And I'm like, yep, 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 I have. She's amazing. So, you know, you're you're everywhere in my world at the moment. So I'm really happy to have you on here. Thank you. That's- that's really exciting to hear, and especially because I'm based in New York City, it, it really is so touching to hear that people in other countries and continents have been reaching out to me too, because the talk has been translated into so many different languages. So it's just been really fascinating to me how these issues that we're all struggling with around parenting and motherhood seem to really transcend class, culture, geography. I mean, it, that is part, that is one of the most fascinating aspects about hearing from people all over the world, how universal these themes are. Yeah, it's powerful, isn't it? It's like it, it to think that your, your TED Talk is six minutes long, right? But it has touched so many people. And I know when I was watching it, I watched it a while ago and I was sort of out of, I've got a two-year-old son, so I was sort of out of the, the fog, let's say, of matrescence. But as I was watching it and listening to it, I was sort of like screaming, yes, at my screen. Like I felt totally heard yeah and I felt totally understood by you I felt like you'd been in my mind and you just totally understood and it was you know even though other I've had conversations with other mothers and you know health visitors and you know um 
care professionals no one had put it the way you put it so it's 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 amazing that you've touched so many people with it thank you so much you talk about matrescence in your TED talk so if anyone that hasn't watched it you talk about matrescence can you explain to us what matrescence is yeah sure so matrescence is a term that I actually did not invent I've been so I've been so honored to popularize it but the first person who coined this term was a medical anthropologist and she she did work with mothers in in lots of different settings. She actually came up with the word doula as well. And her name is Dana Raphael. She worked and wrote in the 1970s. And she came up with this concept that I've been sort of expanding to adapt to the themes that I hear from mothers today. I'm a reproductive psychiatrist, so I, I speak with mothers um, in in my office and different settings all the time, and it's really a term that is borrowed off the word adolescence, um, and it's a great analogy because both times are life transitions of body morphing, hormone shifting, and identities changing. Your sense of self in the world is evolving. And that is both social, how people look at you and how you look at yourself. And it's also physiological from the hormones and changes inside your own body if you're birthing a child. And even if you're not from the oxytocin bonding that comes from raising a child, whether or not you gave birth to that person. So it basically captures that matrescence is awkward and demanding, just like adolescence. And we know that concept for teenagers. We don't expect teenagers to feel calm and serene in control, to have a sense of who they are and how to approach their tremendous, tremendous responsibilities and changes and adjustments. We, we assume that they're going to need help. We assume that they're going to need support. We assume that they will be both happy about their newfound independence and also overwhelmed and intimidated and exhausted by it. And the same is true for new mothers, except in our culture, we've historically assumed that you enter motherhood with a natural intuition of what to do, with a natural sense of purpose and rightness and ease. And we've mistakenly confused stress around this transition with the negative, with questions like, oh, uh, Maybe maybe I didn't want to be a mom if I'm having stress and negative experiences during my transition. No, we don't think teenagers don't want to become adults. We just think that it's it's a difficult adjustment. There are ups and downs. Another thing that I think has been confused for matrescence is postpartum depression, a very important disease to diagnose. We need more advocacy, more treatment research, though there are really wonderful and highly successful treatments out there. But matrescence is not a mental illness. It is not a disease. It is describes the experience of daily ups and downs and of emotional shifting. And it does not interfere with health. It does not require treatment. But it's more complicated than, than straightforward joy and ease and, and serenity that many people, especially on social media, oh my God, yeah. um, use to describe motherhood as, as that, that being the paramount emotion when 
that's one emotion of new motherhood, but it's not constant and it, and it may not come every day. Do you know, I never really thought about the kind of social expectation of how women should feel when they have children. Like when I had my baby, I didn't really realize that maybe the way I was feeling was because I felt like I should have felt a different way. Like I felt like I thought I would totally nail it. I've always been quite mothering. I've always wanted to have children. I've, I was really ready in my life. I was in a stable relationship. You know, I thought, what well, you know, how hard can this be? And I was just totally, totally thrown, which I've said time and time again on this podcast, but I, I was totally thrown. And when I was, I thought I was the only person in the world to feel like that. I felt like every other person had it covered and I was just a bad person for feeling that way. Right. And I think that that is, that is the message really. And I think what's resonating with so many people is that, like you said, and it was so moving for me to hear, it was, it was like I was capturing or giving you permission to feel exactly what you were feeling and I think you know it's it's really just speaking the truth that that this experience is difficult you know it's interesting you were talking about you geared up for this being um a celebration you were in a stable relationship you 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 experienced yourself as someone who was highly maternal but I'm imagining I was just talking to a woman a few weeks ago who had a very complicated birth injury. Her physical recovery after um, after vaginal birth was was actually quite painful and complicated, and left her with some pelvic floor dysfunction and also some emotional trauma around the experience. So for that woman to receive balloons, yeah, congratulations, yeah. expectations of when can we visit and how can we celebrate? You know, visitors who come over and 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 expect to be fed and hosted like yeah. a party. I mean, the celebration of a new child is wonderful. And and it's it's, you know, thank goodness we have times in the rites of passage of the human condition that are around happy events like babies and not and not somber sad events, but to really just open the door to asking the woman how she is. Yeah. What you can do to support her. You know, how are you after the birth? Would you like a visitor? How can I help? How can I help support you? Because the shift is, you know, pregnant women, and we see this around the ritual of the baby shower. You know, the baby shower is held traditionally during pregnancy before the baby arrives. And the mother is is seen at a certain point in pregnancy weekly or, or at least a few times a month. There's a lot of attention. There's a lot of there's a lot of concern and care and honor on the woman when she's pregnant. What do you need? How do you feel? How can I support you? What can I buy you for your for your home now that your baby's coming? But once the baby comes, there's a dramatic shift. And we know, you know, we're just changing our standards in the States from women traditionally are often not seen until six weeks postpartum for their checkup. There's, you know, people come to visit and they want to hold the baby. They want to see the baby. There's often not a question, how are you doing, mom? No, I never. Yeah. And actually, what you, just going back to just quickly what you said about the woman that you were talking about that, that had some trauma around her birth, yeah. that really resonated with me because that's exactly what happened with me. Mm-hmm. And to navigate that rite of passage of becoming a mother with something like trauma on top yeah. is just 
mind blowing. It just shifts everything to a, a whole nother level, I believe. That's why I do a lot of work. And my main work is really empowering women to step into like birth in a different with a different mindset and really own their birth because I think the way birth is happening is really disempowering for women and really does change that process post post birth postnatally for the mother and for the child yeah um so it's really interesting that you mention that I love the practice of postpartum doulas yeah because they're practitioners which is my role too yeah and I'm sure you step into this role they're practitioners who come in and say, I'm here to care for the mother. The baby is adorable. I wanna, I wanna, I wanna see the baby. I wanna enjoy the baby. But I'm actually not interested in hearing about the baby's feeding. I'm not interested in hearing about the baby sleeping. I'm not interested in hearing about the baby's diapers. I wanna hear about you. And if your baby's sleeping is affecting you, then let's talk about it. If the breastfeeding yeah. is affecting you, then let's talk about it. But maybe the biggest thing that's affecting you is that you're so lonely at home because you haven't been able to go outside and speak to an adult. Maybe the biggest thing that's affecting you is that you're ashamed about all the weight you've gained and now you're not pregnant and you're scared that you know people aren't going to experience you as attractive anymore. Maybe you're scared or anxious or angry at your partner. You know, Maybe, maybe you have nothing to say about the baby right now because you've mm. been through a whirlwind of change. So that's yeah. really what, what what people like you and me were a new wave to to try to say, hey, the the babies have have enough important care in place. We need to step in and be there to mother the mother, essentially. Definitely, one hundred percent. Now I know that I felt in my matrescence, I felt lonely, I felt ashamed, I felt not worthy, I felt kind of really up and down, like I had brain fog but that was my experience how would you you know you've worked with lots and lots of mothers how would you describe mothers feeling or what's going on with mothers during this matrescence just so anyone listening they might be able to identify a bit more so what the mother experiences during matrescence I think it's different for every woman and this is just like with adolescence it's different from for every teenager some people are highly affected by hormonal shifting. Those are often people we see as a clue of people who've had emotional adjustments around their menstrual cycle that have been pretty demanding months to month in their life mm. prior. Um, people who may be very sensitive to hormonal birth control or people who um, felt had, had a strong emotional adjustment during pregnancy. Those may be people who are more hormonally impacted um, the social impact, I think, is really interesting and affects different women differently. You know, I think it, it at the core of it is an identity transition. So because it's how you feel about doing things you've never done before. Maybe you love your job and it's you're thrilled to have a baby and maybe even looking forward to a break from going to the office. But maybe the routine, hands-on physical care of a baby, which is the primary way in which you relate to a child in the first six months to a year, maybe that hands-on care is not rewarding for you, not interesting for you. You're someone who's more maybe cerebral um, rather than enjoying using your hands, enjoying kind of the domestic um, experience. And so those people may struggle more 
Um, maybe you're someone who's lost your mother or who has a strained relationship with your own mother and you are missing her. You're remembering things from your childhood and it's reactivating your grief or you're, you're feeling like your friends are not stepping in to take care of you in the way that you hoped. Maybe because they have their own children, maybe because they're struggling with infertility and it's hard for them to make the time because it's painful for them too. And so maybe in that moment, you're wishing that there were a mother figure for you to step in. And so it's triggering old loss. Maybe there's uh, issues around kind of communication with your partner that you haven't experienced before. Um, I spoke with a woman recently who um, her, she and her partner would mostly relax and connect and wind down having drinks at the end of the day. They'd talk, they'd relax. It would sort of transition into their intimacy. And when she stopped drinking during pregnancy and breastfeeding, it, she really noticed that it was hard for them to make that same social space in their relationship to connect without, without alcohol. So I think the identity transition is challenging in different ways for every woman. Um, but I think like you said, there it's, you, you, it's hard to see it coming exactly how matrescence is going to affect you and what will be challenging mm -hmm. about it. But I think the main thing that we need to do as a culture is inform women that it's going to be a demanding transition, teach them to talk about it, to go online, yeah. to use social media as a support, to talk to their peers my hope is that my book that's coming out in April will be sort of like a guidebook that people can make reading circles and book clubs around to say, oh, yeah, what was your breastfeeding experience like? Oh, it was hard for you? I had no idea anyone else was struggling with breastfeeding. No one talks about it. Oh, you had a miscarriage, too, before you got pregnant with this child? Yeah. I had no idea any of my friends had a miscarriage. Oh, you and your partner have been, you know, going through a rocky stress, not not having sex in the postpartum phase when you're recovering has been extremely stressful for for you and your relationship too. I'm going through the same thing. No one talks about it. You know, so my book is called What No One Tells You because the focus is that we all start speaking up more about what we're going through in these identity transitions. And there may not be a way to exactly prepare for how matrescence will affect you, but to have your circle of support and people you, you trust and feel comfortable being honest around to simply share what's going on and know that when there are challenges, it doesn't mean anything's wrong. It just means you're going through matrescence. We also know that the more people are able to speak about their emotions and seek support of others during time of high demand, the lower the risk of depression because yeah. social isolation is a big risk factor for depression. And my dream is that with more normalization of the difficulties of matrescence and with the ability for women to speak more openly to each other, about what they're going through, we will see a decline in the rates of postpartum depression. 
Yeah, and I, I, I find that really, really interesting when you say that because you said that in your TED talk as well and it's something that I really believe as well. Postnatal depression can come on because you feel so lonely and actually it might not need to be accelerated to that point if as a society we look at motherhood in a completely different way. So I find that I find that really, really interesting. Like what what is the difference between matrescence and postnatal depression for anyone thinking, oh gosh, I'm not sure how it is I'm feeling right now if they're in the depths of their matrescence? Sure. So the way I always answer this question is if there's any doubt in your mind that you're struggling with postnatal depression, simply ask your doctor. Talk to your doctor or your practitioner about a screening for postnatal depression because we would never want to encourage anyone to dismiss or push down their symptoms of postnatal depression if they're having them. One thing to know about postnatal depression is that it can actually begin during pregnancy. We see that all the time. So the first thing you should know is that, you know, if you're feeling, um, if you're struggling during pregnancy, that's also an important time to talk to your practitioner. The hallmarks of a depression and when people really need to um, get professional support is are when your emotions are interfering with your daily functioning. So if you want to fall asleep, the baby is down, you're in a quiet room, but your mind is racing with worries, with to-do lists, with concern, you can't sleep because of your thoughts, that's a common symptom of postnatal depression and something that is important to talk to a doctor about because sleep deprivation can really tip people over to struggling with their mood. Um, whether it begins with metrescence transition or with postnatal depression, if you're not getting enough sleep, your brain is not going to be able to function normally and you're going to have some dysregulation. Appetite is another one of those things. If you're not able to eat in a, in, in a normal way, if you've lost your appetite, or if you find that you can't stop eating in a way that alarms you, that's another, that's another sign we also think about the body and physical energy. Of course, you'll be fatigued taking care of a baby. But if it feels impossible to get out of bed, if it feels like the weight of the world is literally on your shoulders and you're having tr- trouble getting through your day, running your errands, doing the normal things because of physical fatigue, that's a symptom. If you're feeling hopeless and having thoughts of not wanting to be alive, that is a very important time to. Call, pick up the phone, call your doctor, call an emergency hotline, call anyone, go to an emergency room. That is always, always something you want to ask for help with immediately. And then there are other very un, um, rare conditions that are not, are not common but happen, like postpartum psychosis, which is a condition where women get confused and are often extremely fearful in the postpartum. They may think that they're in danger. And they may have thoughts that they need to hurt their child to protect them or hurt themselves. If you or anyone you know has having symptoms like that, that's also a medical emergency and and time to go to the doctor immediately. Postpartum Mm -hmm. psychosis is often tied to undiagnosed bipolar disorder in women in the postpartum. And so that is a true medical emergency and a reason to get help that day. But if you're physically functioning in the way that that is normal for you, but 
you're having a range of feelings, like sometimes sad, but the sadness maybe passes when you do something you enjoy. Like if you have a moment to watch your favorite TV show or have an ice cream that you love, if you're able to experience pleasure and the sadness is able to pass within a day, within a few days, then that would be more like a matrescence experience and not a depression. Okay. If you're just not able to find any sources of pleasure from the things that used to make you happy, going for your favorite walk around the neighborhood to get your cup of coffee, the the things you love, the rituals you love in in your routine, getting dressed in the morning and putting on your favorite outfit. If your favorite things no longer make you happy, that is more what we think of with postpartum depression. But if you're still able to experience joy and distract yourself from your worries, if the worries come and go, if the sadness comes and goes, then that and your functioning is pretty much normal for you, though demanding, that's more like matrescence. It's really good to have the differentiation, I think, because it because we don't talk about that time in our lives really that much as a society. It does. I think it can get so lost and so confused. And yeah, I think it's just great to have um, the difference, really. So we're just so much more educated on it. Um, I just wanted to go back to your book, you know, um, is it what no one tells you? Is that right? Is yeah. that what it is? And I do remember having conversations with women and friends, you know, after I'd had my baby and so much, so many of the times I would be like, why did nobody tell me? Like, why right. did no one decide, why did no one decide that this was something important to share? Right. A lot of stuff gets missed and that's from mother to mother as well, woman to woman. It's not just, you know, people that have never had any experience of having children. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Um, you know, I think that it's kind of tied into why sort of matrescence feels like an original concept, even though I think when I talk to women about it, they tell me what you say, which is like, I, that's, you put into words exactly what I've been thinking and feeling. So it's not a new concept, right? But I think that it's scary to talk about the negative aspects of growing your family I think it's scary to talk about what you're giving up when you become a mother, right? And I think people are concerned that admitting to that ambivalence will reveal something about them that they're afraid of admitting. And I think at the bottom of this fear is, what if I'm going to be a bad mother? What if my admitting that I, I don't always love this job will be a sign that that I don't love my child? And that is almost like the worst thing you could fear, right? I'm going to be a bad mother. My child isn't going to feel loved. You know, every, every woman, whether it's a planned pregnancy or not, whether it's a pregnancy under the most stressful circumstances or not, every woman wants their baby to feel loved, wants their child to have as good or better an experience in their childhood than they did. You know, that's the human that's the human condition. We all can empathize with, with the child inside of each one of us. And none of us want our children to have it harder than we did. No. And that's, that is really interesting, actually, the way you've put that in that actually it's because I always thought about maybe it's people were 
being uh, were fearful of being judged so they didn't want to see be seen as being weak or that they couldn't cope that they were bad mothers but the way you've just put it is actually by voicing it you'd be admitting something to yourself and you're scared of what that might mean to you yeah. Yeah. I've never heard of it being put that way so it's a really um interesting uh, perspective I think all of these explanations are true I think fear of being judged is also there there are a million reasons why we've had this kind of social storm of silence around the motherhood transition but I think that really let's take breastfeeding as an example people are often ashamed if they're struggling with breastfeeding or have stopped breastfeeding yeah and, and they and they don't talk to their peers about it. They keep it silent because for many reasons, I think, sure, fear of being judged by others. But at the root of that fear, I think, is fear that you've done something wrong, is that judging of yourself. Yeah. You know, I'm not giving my baby this natural, perfect um, experience. I'm using formula. Well, guess what? Formula does not harm children. It's just simply another way to feed a baby. Very true. And that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with breastfeeding. Breastfeeding is wonderful. But there's no reason to feel ashamed if you, for whatever reasons, end up feeding your child with formula. Many women don't have a choice. Breastfeeding simply doesn't work. And other women decide in the balance, the sleep deprivation, the inequality in terms of caregiving with them and their partner, being tied to the home or tied to needing to be with the baby and difficulty sharing the care with others makes breastfeeding not ideal or maybe even interferes with their emotional wellness and feeling of balance. So I think, yes, you may be fearful that your friends are going to judge you if you don't breastfeed, but I think most women I talk to who are really upset about not being able to breastfeed are at the bottom judging themselves. And I, I think that is really one of the strongest motivating factors of social stigma and shame around metrescence. That is 100% spot on. That's incredible, yeah. A lot of women I work with, I've got a lot of women at the moment that I'm working with that feel traumatized by their breastfeeding journey. They're putting themselves through such pressure and stress that it's really causing them mental health issues. And, you know, it's, I mean, it's an honor to be working with them to help them kind of step outside of it and see a different perspective. But it also makes me really sad. It makes me really, yeah. really sad that they're, you know, that, that they're doing this to themselves, essentially, when they are 100% amazing mothers, just yeah. because, you know, and mostly things that are out of their control, they can't, you know, breastfeed. The, the message yeah. is wrong, I think, at the start of the breastfeeding journey. It's like people assume it's gonna be really easy, People are too scared to talk about the difficulties of breastfeeding, how it can take a really long time to establish and how it can be really painful and how there can be loads of different complications. So again, like matrescence is something that's not really talked about and the kind of consequences of that are seen in in, in really horrible and scary kind of ways, really. Absolutely. I mean, breastfeeding is after childbirth, which people also have, all, like we discussed, have all sorts of ideal images around. Yeah. Breastfeeding is, is one of the first, quote, jobs you'll do as a mother. And so if it doesn't go well, and if the birth you planned for doesn't go how you planned, which is, by the way, most births, then I think there's this fear, am I going to be bad at this? 
am I not cut out for this? Am I, if I, if I can't breastfeed, will I not be able to be a loving mother? Will I not be able to give my child what he needs? And I think it gets so dramatic because it's one of your first things you do as a mother. But, you know, you ask, ask a mother of a five-year-old if they're, if they remember or think about their breastfeeding experience, uh, the answer is no. I mean, I'll ask you as a mother of a two-year-old, parenting happens every day. You have the opportunity to take care of your child's health, to nurture them with healthy food, to nurture them with the right emotional presence, and to engage them in all sorts of ways to facilitate their healthy growth. You have the chance to do that every day. And there are challenges that come up from month to month, depending on your child's development, really for years. Yeah. Breastfeeding is not your only shot to get it right. If you struggle with breastfeeding, channel that energy into how you're helping your child develop healthy sleep patterns. If you're struggling with sleep training, work on your feeding with solid foods. If you're struggling with feeding solid foods because you don't have time to cook, Work on reading to your child. There are a million different ways to have healthy engagement. And yes, all of those different things support healthy development with children. But if you don't do all of them in a textbook way, that doesn't mean any one or two or three experiences is going to impact your child's overall healthy development. That's just not how human beings grow. It's so true. And like I say that to the mothers that I work with, I was like, I'm always like, okay, this might feel like overwhelmingly overshadowing your life right now, but tomorrow it'll be something different. And the day after it'll be something different. And next month there'll be, you know, a a sleep regression. And it's, it's, you need to take care of yourself in order to be able to manage these things that are going to be happening to you. It doesn't mean you're a bad mother. It just, it, that's just parenting, isn't it? And it will probably still happen when they're 18. There'll be something that they come to you that you're going to struggle with or question yourself on. Absolutely. Um, so I'm really pro like empowering mothers and empowering women to really look after themselves. Absolutely. So they're able to, to manage those situations better. Yeah. And we talk about it like the analogy of being in an airplane and putting on your yeah. oxygen mask before taking care of your child. That's that's an analogy that's that we all can understand that you just, you can't take care of a little one if you yourself are physically depleted. And you have to remember to make time to take care of yourself in order to be a good enough, attentive, nurturing mother. Hugely. I do struggle with getting that message through to mothers, though. There's just something in a lot of mothers where they just can't put themselves first. Do you find that? Yeah, yeah. And that's a big theme on my Instagram, which, you know, I have this motherhood unfiltered hashtag project on my yes. Alexander Sachs MD Instagram. You know, it's really again and again, I, I can't put up too many messages that repeat the same concept, which is, Self-care is not selfish. It's simply not. I talk about this in my TED Talk in terms of the push and pull, which is sort of the impossible position of taking care of a human infant. Human babies are of the most vulnerable dependent in the animal kingdom. You know, baby horses can walk before we can. Baby ducks can feed themselves almost right away. Our babies need really over 12 months, not even to mention the first six months before they're really able to have any sort of physical independence. And 
it is impossible if you yourself are a human being to take care of another creature 24-7 without addressing your own human needs because your body and mind and spirit will simply break down if you stop caring for yourself because you're a human, you're not a robot. And yes, your child has 24-7 demands and needs good care around the clock, Mm -hmm. but it can't be you 24-7 because you are also a human and you simply will not be able to sustain that. And it's, it's not about selfish or selfless. It's about being humbled by your own humanity. You are a mother and you are also a human being. And you just don't have the option to stop tending to your own basic needs. So true. So, so true. I'm running a series of workshops at the moment where I'm looking at um, how surrendering into our feminine a lot more will help the kind of easing into motherhood because I am of the belief that we we live in a patriarchy right so everything you know we we operate much more in our masculine men and women you know we're very much go 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 um busy 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 to-do lists um quite independent and um we don't reach out for help and being in our feminist is something opposite. It's, you know, surrendering, asking for help, going with the flow, slowing down, being compassionate to yourself. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I really feel like maybe that's why mothers struggle, like because they're not used to being in that state. I fully agree. And, you know, add, the, add that to our current cap- capitalist culture where the worker is told that, you know, go, 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 mm. never put your phone down. You, your, your, your self-care is essentially an indulgence. Like employees are told this every day. Yeah. You know, you don't need to get up and, and leave your desk for lunch. You, you don't need to go outside and get sunlight on your face. We are sort of being taught to ignore our own natural instincts. Yeah how to nurture our human needs and you know we're doing that in front of the computer and I think people bring that same sort of ex- unhealthy expectation to their parenting mm. oh I'll sleep tomorrow yeah I'll sleep when I'm dead it's a bigger much bigger social conversation isn't it but it just it just adds even more weight to how important it is to you know to start with mothers because they are the ones that are going to be essentially um showing their children how to treat themselves because if as a mother you're treating yourself like utter crap absolutely no matter what you tell your child they're going to witness you doing that and they're going to do the same which I think is why we're at where we're at now in society absolutely I couldn't agree more and you know we talk about Winnicott the pediatrician and analyst his concept of the good enough mother and it's so important to honor your own human needs Mm. and human imperfections so that you can also give your child the model you don't have to be perfect you don't have to be perfect in order for me to love you I'm going to accept you as a human just the way you are. And and as and as long as you do your best, that's good enough. And I think we as mothers really need to accept our own humanity and our own good enough. Yeah. Which is the only option. Perfect is not an option for human mothers. No. Maybe robots, but not humans. No. And if we can the more we can accept and love ourselves 
in spite of our humanity, in spite of our imperfections, the more of a healthy model we're going to give our own children that they're allowed to be human too. Yeah, I think that's really powerful. I think some of my matrescence and a lot of the people that I work with, the women I work with, it's a time when we're holding a mirror up to ourselves and we're really, like you. I think you mentioned earlier, we're sort of questioning our own childhood, questioning how we're going to bring up our child, questioning who we are as people. So it's even, you know, that's really profound, right? For a time when we're supposed to be just like looking after a baby and being at home, bedding down, watching Netflix and breastfeeding or bottle feeding, whatever we're doing. It's a really profound period in our lives because we're we're looking at our life through a different lens, I think, and really questioning everything. Absolutely. Yes. And for many people, it's the first time they've really looked back at their own childhood and how they were raised. Yeah. You know, in, in deciding how you're going to raise a child, you're probably going to remember how you were raised. And that stirs up so much. And that's part of why matrescence is so emotional, because you're not just transitioning to being a mother. And you're not just thinking about your own child. You're also, in a way, reflecting on and recovering from your childhood that, that got you to this point, which it's, I like to think of it as time travel. Yeah. And that's part of what's so beautiful about the motherhood transition, but part of what's so exhausting about it. You're, you're constantly traveling between different, different experiences and memories and emotional zones and there's so much to process every day. I definitely think a shift in perspective on that journey, on that rite of passage is is needed. And, um, you know, if we go into it understanding that that's the, what we're to expect, it will just be so much easier for us. And I've heard you talk about that being a way of kind of dealing with matrescence or preparing for matrescence. Have you got any other practical ways that, women can can prepare for it really or if they're in it how they can deal with it apart from the softening into femininity which we've already talked about yes and apart from you know really seeking out your your social supports and the friends who you feel like you can speak honestly to I think another thing that I encourage new moms to do during pregnancy before the baby comes is to make a list starting with the smallest most practical things for both you as an individual and if you're partnered for your relationship, what are the favorite things you do to feel well? What are your daily rituals that you do that you enjoy? Is it as simple as taking a shower in the morning? Is it as simple as reading the newspaper? Is it as simple as being able to blow dry your hair or put on makeup? Is it? Are you not someone who cares about hair and makeup, but you love going for your morning run or exercise? Is it as simple as kind of walking into the office with 15 minutes before a meeting starts so that you can chat with your coworkers and hear how they are and experience friendship? What are the simple things that you do every day? The small things in your relationship? Is it chatting at the end of the day, eating a meal together at night? What are the things you do that make you feel like you? Write them down from the smallest to the largest for yourself and for yourself and your relationship. And put that list somewhere where you can see it once the baby comes. Maybe on your fridge. 
to remind you of what you used to love, but when you had time to take care of yourself, because those things will fall away pretty fast once the baby comes, because the babies do take up 24-7. And so remembering that self-care is not selfish, it's essential. You'll be reminded when you see this list, because you'll say, oh, I actually haven't read the newspaper in a month. Maybe that's why I'm feeling off. And you can try it. Go read a newspaper. Maybe you'll feel a world of a difference. You know, go to the gym. If you used to go every day and you haven't gone in months, go. You know, have a proper meal with your partner once the baby is sleeping and say, we are not allowed to talk about the baby. We can only talk about... We can only talk about uh, the, the things we used to love to talk about, planning our next vacation, thinking about, you know, what, what we wanted, what our career goals are, what, you know, even just joking about, about watching a, a sports game or laughing, you know, what, how did you use to connect to your partner? And you have to remind yourself because if you stop doing the things that you enjoy, you'll you'll stop feeling like you. Yeah, and that's a huge thing, isn't it? That loss of identity, which we have touched upon. But yeah. that's something that a lot of mothers really struggle with. The mothers that I work with is that, like, who am I now? Like, who, what is a mother and what kind of mother am I going to be? And you, you feel like you have, I don't know, you weirdly feel like you, because obviously a rite of passage is something dies for something new to be born but you don't have to completely lose yourself and that's such a great um, practical tool and practical tip to kind of use to really help you still remember who you are in your essence and yes you will have changed and yes there'll be new parts to you but that's really exciting that growth and that newness and that knowledge is beautiful but this the essence of you is still there so that's a really lovely um, practical tool I wish I'd done that people prepare for birth right. and that's something I help them with and you know being a hypnobirthing teacher I prepare them for birth as much as I can but they never think about life after birth and birth is you know a day couple of days maybe a bit more but the rest of your life is your parenting is your your life as a mother and it's never thought about right so even just to think about who's going to do the cleaning because you're not going to do the cleaning because you've just birthed the baby right who's going to get the shopping who's you know who's going to come and see you who's going to bring you food it's never ever thought about absolutely I mean that's a whole other type of list how are you going to sustain yourself and how are you and your partner going to divide the chores how are you going to deal with your new expenses where's the money going to come from that's required to care for the baby? How are you going to budget differently? So all of those things. And I do believe communicating with your partner about what life after birth is going to be like is really important because a lot of mothers that I speak to and and myself included, that relationship really, we struggled with it because we were both going through our own thing. Like I felt totally isolated and that I wasn't being understood. And I was really resentful that he could have a cup of coffee on the tube in the morning <laughs> do you know what I mean like yep. that he could sit Absolutely. and read the paper and have some headspace and he would say to me yeah but I was going to work you know I'm like I don't care I would kill to go to work right now you know like, right. I'm sick of sitting on this sofa rehashing my birth or t- talking you know that toxic self-talk that's telling me I'm not good enough I would yep. kill to just have a bit of normality right But that's where your own list comes in. 
if he could have a cup of coffee on the tube and you haven't had a cup of coffee in the morning for months, that should be on your list. My morning cup yeah. of coffee. And if you, because as soon as you start feeling deprived of your own basic needs and become resentful of your partner for having a simple thing that you're deprived of, that's where real relationship conflict begins. And, you know, it's not your partner's fault that they get to have coffee on the tube. It's essentially your quote fault that you're not prioritizing your own cup of coffee and saying, hey, before you leave for work, I need you to take care of the baby because I need some peace and quiet to have a cup of coffee Mm -hmm. before I'm alone for the rest of the day. And to demand that time for yourself and and prioritize yourself. It's so true. Well, Alexandra, thank you so much for speaking with me today. I just, I want to just maybe touch upon anything that's coming up for you that people would love to hear about. I know that you potentially might be holding events in the UK and obviously your book and how can, how can people find you? Yeah. So my book that I'm co-authoring, What No One Tells You, A Guide to Your Emotions from Pregnancy to Motherhood. It's really the emotional what to expect when you're expecting please um, go to my website, alexandrasaxmd.com and sign up for it. You can sign up for my newsletter too with regular writing. Um, And I'm also launching a podcast in the spring, which there'll be more information on my website about. I will at some point be in the UK. The book is going to be coming out in the UK as well um, by a publisher there. So sign up for my newsletter and you'll get more updates. And you can also find me on social media at alexandrasaxmd.com and come join us with the motherhood unfiltered hashtag movement. We, we, we have a lot of fun over there. Oh, amazing. Um, thank you so much for a really heartfelt, open, honest and inspiring conversation. It's been really, really, really lovely to talk to you. My pleasure. Thank you for all the work you're doing to support women, mothers, and families. Thank you. So there you have it. That was my conversation with Dr. Alexandra Sachs. How did you find it? Did it give you some food for thoughts? Did it give you some aha moments? Are you wanting to share this information with other people? If so, please, please let people know that this podcast exists. Share it with them. Rate and review it and subscribe on iTunes. Let's get it out to as many people as possible. I've put all the details of how you can get in contact with Alexandra, how you can find out about her book, all in the show notes below. And also, if people want to get in contact with me, I'd love to hear from you, maria at mariabonobri.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts for guests, your thoughts for topics, your thoughts on the podcast full stop I'm, I'm doing this for you so the more I hear from you the better if you want to know more about my services either as a conscious birth coach um, or the work that I do with mothers postnatally including my empower the mother online course which I'm really really excited to launch in May then head over to calmother.com there's a possibility that Dr Alexandra Sachs and I are going to be doing an event together when she comes over to the UK later this year so if you want to know more about that then be sure to sign up to my newsletter when you get to my website and you'll be the first to know about it anyway I hope you have a really wonderful rest of day and I'll see you next time